have a special treat for you today. And uh, beginning this morning and throughout uh, this next week and, and next Sunday as well, we are going to be focusing on our Give Hope Every Day missions emphasis. And uh, you hear us talk about this from time to time. We have, uh, you know, group, uh, groups and ministries come in and uh, give a little updates and reports. But we just want to focus for this next week and, and remind you that we are supporting uh, a number of global workers around the world who are carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can hear. And uh, that is happening through your gifts and your donations. And so today we have a special treat for you. I don't know how far you came to come to church this morning, but uh, our guest speaker this morning came all the way from Thailand. And uh, so uh, we have with us Reverend Peter McIntosh. He is the Regional Director for Southeast Asia for International Missions, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And I want you to give him a warm welcome as he joins me on the stage. Peter. Thanks, man. Welcome. It is Thank great you. to have you with us, and uh, we just are encouraged about the challenge you're going to bring today, so God bless you, and uh, listen to him. He's got some good stuff to say. <laughs> Thank They're you, good Pastor. folk. All right? Pastor. Thank you. Bless you. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's try it once more. Good morning, everyone. It is an absolute joy and honor and privilege to be with you today at Portico Church. What a great church. We've had lots of history with you. I don't know if maybe folks... See my face has seen my face before, but I used to pastor just north of you at KRT in Brampton, and so we had lots of interface with this, this congregation. It's, it's just a delight and a thrill to be here with you. Just a little bit of background of my, my, myself. So I am the, uh, the father of one child, uh, the husband of one wife, and uh, I give leadership to the, the uh, ministries of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada in Southeast Asia. So I oversee all of our workers and our partnerships from India to Japan. Two billion people live in that part of the world, and I am honored to give leadership to our ministries reaching out to lost in that part of the world. I also wanted to begin by thanking you, Portugal Church, for your amazing investment that you, you make in South and East Asia. We have four families in our region that you pray for, that you have sent, that you support. I just want to mention them so you can pray for them. Uh, Tony and Margaret Baker, you support them. They are actually going to be our first missionaries in Malaysia, a Muslim-majority country, so they're going to be heading there early in the new year. They've always already spent some time in India. And you also support uh, Stuart and Monique Shaw in Calcutta, India, doing a great work there. You support uh, Charles and Desiree Silva in Sri Lanka, and thank you for helping that family. And also Jeffrey and Akiko Sonnenberg, uh, they come out of this church, Jeffrey does, and they have been in Okinawa, Japan for many, many years. And these families, they, they love you, they appreciate you so much, and I want to thank you as their director for your investment in their lives. It's absolutely amazing. My wife this morning is at the Milton Portico campus, and she asked me to say hello to everybody here. Uh, just to tell you a little bit, bit about her, um, she's, a, she's a beautiful, great woman of God, an awesome lady. She also leads Impact School of Missions, which is an intentional training program and deployment school for young adults ages 17 to 30. You come to Bangkok, Thailand for four weeks of training, and then you're deployed to serve all across the region in Southeast Asia for, for six months to a year, any time in between that, a little bit less than six months as well. So if you're a young adult here this morning, ages 17 to 30, or you happen to have a young adult living in your basement and you want to ship them off to Asia, then uh, please do let me know. We'd love to receive them from you. Actually, Tim Wharton, one of your, your young adults here from Portico, he came and spent some time with, I don't know, 
Tim is here or not. Uh, but uh, thanks for sending him as well. And just uh, we thank the Lord for those opportunities to pour into the lives of young adults. And again, Pastor Doug, thank you so much for the honor of being here today. It's absolutely awesome to be with you folks. Let's turn in our Bibles, shall we, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And can we stand together in honor of God's Word today? God's Word is powerful. His Word is holy and righteous and just and transformative. And we want to honor Him today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read the Bible to you this morning. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Lord, today, we thank you that we can come together in this place and worship your name in freedom. We thank you, Lord, that you are here by your spirit. And spirit, we welcome you to do your good work in our hearts and lives today. We ask that you'd open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear your voice, and open our hearts so that we will receive all that you want to share with us today. So God, we give you this time. Be glorified in this place, we pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said together in faith, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Transformers, the rise of the forgiven. Let me tell you about my friend Anton. Anton lives in Sri Lanka. When he was younger, Anton was a wild man. He was involved in drugs and crime, but he was impacted by the Holy Spirit and he is forgiven through the blood of Christ. He was transformed by God and he has become a transformer. After he gave his heart to Jesus, he was called into ministry. He went to Bible college. And when he graduated from Bible college, the Lord said, I want you to plant a church in the most radical part of Colombo, Sri Lanka, the most radical Buddhist part of that city. Now, when I say Buddhist, we tend to think of bald men in orange robes who go receiving alms on the street, and they're very, very kind and placid and contemplative. But the reality is, whenever any religious structure is challenged by another, things can get a bit dicey. So, so Anton goes to this radical area, Buddhist area of Colombo, and he tries to rent a building to plant a church. Nobody will give them a building to rent. They look everywhere, and finally they find this little piece of dirt. There's no building there, but they go to the owner and say, we want to pitch a tent, and we want to plant a church. Can we rent this little piece of land from you? And the man said, okay, go ahead. So they're excited. They pitch a tent. They go knocking on doors. They hand out promotional materials. It's now the inaugural Sunday. They throw open the flaps of the tent. They wait for the people to come. Nobody comes. So Anton, he straps on his guitar, he leads his song service, he preaches to his wife in the front row, they pray together, they go home. They come back the next week, they throw back the flats, they wait for people to come, nobody comes. Straps on his guitar, leads his song service, preaches to his wife in the front row, they pray together, they go back home. A month passes by, nobody comes. Two months, nobody comes. Three months, nobody comes. Four months, nobody comes. Can you imagine strapping on your guitar, leading the song service, preaching to your wife, or well, maybe some kid, but preaching to your wife, and then praying and going back home. Five months, 
His wife says, Anton, can't we just stay home? No one is coming. You could preach to me at home. Let's just stay at home. And he says, no, dear, no, God has, God has called us to plant a church here. We have to be faithful to God. Six months, seven months, in the eighth month, Anton is leading the song service. His wife is sitting on the front seat. And a man goes by the tent and looks in. And then he comes back a second time, looks in. A third time, he comes into the tent. He gives his heart to Jesus. They discover that man had in his pocket a vial of poison. He was on his way to kill himself. But instead of killing himself, he found life in Jesus. The next week, more people came. The next week, more people came. The next month, more people came. And then the letters came from the Buddhist monks. If you continue to preach about Jesus, if you continue to convert people to Christianity, we will kill you. We will kill your family. What does Anton do? He say, this is just too dangerous. We need to back off a little bit. No, he just keeps preaching. They now have a building. Time has passed. And he tells me one Sunday morning, he is in his pulpit preaching to his people and someone throws a bomb at his church and blows a hole in the back wall. And then the next Sunday, another bomb is thrown and another hole. Then the third Sunday, a third bomb and a third hole. Then he pulls a photo album off a shelf and he shows me the pictures. He said, look, here's where, here's where they blew holes in the back wall of our church. I said, Anton, how did you feel? People are throwing bombs at your church or blowing the holes in your building. And he said, well, pastor... We were so excited. We needed to expand anyway. They saved us a lot of work. It was amazing. (laughs) Pastor Anton now has 400 people in his church. And he is the general superintendent of our partner fellowship in Sri Lanka. He was forgiven. He was transformed. And he has become a transformer. The Apostle Paul, well, he was still named Saul. He hated Christians. And he was on his way to Damascus on the road. He had in his fist letters of permission saying that he could throw men, women, and children into prison because they were followers of Jesus. On that road, he was encountered by the resurrected Christ. He was forgiven of his sins. He was transformed, and he became a transformer. And he wrote the words of our Bible passage. He tells us, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. He says we are to be transformed. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, once you've been transformed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Action comes out of transformation. The transformed become transformers, testing approving and doing God's will. If we have been forgiven, we are to rise up and be transformed. And as the transformed, we then function as transformers, transforming our homes, our towns, our province, our nation, and our worlds. So as transformers, we pray and we give and we go, but we can't be indifferent. So today, I simply want to tell you some stories of transformers who are changing their nations for Christ. So let's go on a guided tour of South and East Asia. Let's start in Nepal. It's the Himalayas. It's Mount Everest. It's the rooftop of the world. National Geographic shows us pictures of prayer flags fluttering in the wind and and prayer wheels spinning as the devoted put them into motion. It's clean and it's crisp and it's clear. But down in the streets of Kathmandu, there's tension. 
and there's corruption and there's poverty. Water and electricity are barely available. And to be a follower of Jesus, well, Nepal has a notorious history of religious oppression. And they regularly imprison believers in Christ. Into this situation, ministers my Nepali friend, Bal Krishna Sharma. Let me tell you his story. He's the guy in the middle. Bal Krishna was raised as a Hindu, actually a Brahmin Hindu, which is the highest caste. When he was about 12 or so years of age, he signed up to participate in a general knowledge quiz contest. And so he's, he's sitting in his chair, and his name is called, so he stands up, and he goes up to the lectern, and they ask him the question, who is the light of Nepal? He said, that's an easy question. Everybody knows the answer to that question. Obviously, Buddha is the light of Nepal. That's correct. He got that one right. He sits down, comes back around to his turn. He stands up, walks up to the lectern. And then he says, this is the question they asked. I, I can't believe they asked it. The question was this, in, in Nepal, in a Hindu country. Who is the light of the world? He's thinking, light of the world, light of the world, light of the world. Who's the light of the world? Buddha's the light of Nepal, but who's the light of the world? And, and if he's the light of the world, he's got to be greater than Buddha. But who is it? Who's the light of the world? And he says, I don't know. And the answer came back, Jesus. He said, I had never, ever heard that name before. But Jesus is the light of the world. Two years pass. He's walking along a mud path in his village in western Nepal. He sees a little booklet on the ground. He bends over and picks it up. It's a gospel track. That's what we call it. And it says across the front, the light of the world. It said, the light of the world. And he opens the booklet and it tells the story of Jesus. Jesus who came to this earth. Jesus who lived a perfect life. Jesus who suffered and died on the cross. Jesus who was raised from the dead. Jesus who is now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus who is the light of the world. And it describes Jesus, the light of the world. He said, this has got to be the same Jesus, the light of the world. And on the back of the book, there's an address stamped. He runs to the address. He bursts into the house. He said, is this true? Is this the same Jesus? Is this the light of the world? Is this Jesus? They said, yes, it is. He said, I want to know him. And so that day, Bob Christian gave his heart to Jesus. He's so excited. He runs home to his Brahmin Hindu father. He says, Father, I've discovered who the light of the world is. It's Jesus. Here it is here. It tells about it right here. His father said, if I had known when you were a baby that you would someday become a Christian, I would have killed you. You are not my son. I disown you. You leave me. He's 14. He's kicked out. He just bags and makes his way for two years. But he feels a call in his heart to ministry. He hears about a Bible college in Bangalore, India. So somehow he gets the money together to get a third-class ticket, which means riding on the roof of the train. He rides on the roof of the train from Kathmandu to Bangalore, India. He walks into the president's office at South Asia Bible College in Bangalore. He says, I'm, I'm Bal Krishna. I'm from Nepal. I've got a call to serve Jesus. Can I come? My English is my English no good. My, I can't speak very well. So please let me in. They let him in. He just scrapes through the first year, just makes it. Just makes it to the second year. Makes it to the third year. He finally graduates as the most improved student. Not the best, but the most improved student. He goes back to Nepal, becomes part of a church planting movement. Two years ago, Balakrishna completed his PhD from Oxford. 
He is now the president of Nepal Theological College. Over 100 students there every year. 95% of the graduates go back to their villages and plant churches. He's part of a fellowship that has now planted 1,200 churches. He is a transformer. He is changing his nation for Christ. And our team is helping him. We're supporting students and training pastors and, and building churches. I want you to hear today from this place that in Nepal, the forgiven are rising up. They have been transformed and they're becoming transformers, changing their nation for Christ. Let's, let's keep traveling east. Let's go to Thailand. Thailand is a nation in which I have lived for the past eight years. It's called the Land of Smiles. It's a top tourist destination. It's a country with an extremely difficult language. It's a tonal language, so how you say a word changes the meaning. Let's try this, okay? Say this with me. Cow. 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 Okay, depending on how you just said that word, you just said he, she, it, white, rice, enter, or mountain. Imagine. I can't even remember where I left my keys, let alone this. Thailand is 95% Buddhist. It's 4% Muslim. It's less than one half of 1% Christian. It's a land of idol worshipers who live in fear of spirits. They are constantly trying to appease invisible powers. It's a nation that receives $1.2 billion every year through the sex industry. Into this situation ministers Pastor Siling. Let me tell you his story. He's the short guy in the picture. Siling was raised as a Buddhist, one of six kids. He discovered that as a middle child, to get attention, he had to get into trouble. So he would get into trouble to get attention. As he became a teenager, the trouble he got into was more severe to the point that his parents said, Siling, we don't know what to do with you, so we can't keep you, so we want to send you off to become a monk. So they send him off to the monk school, to the monkery, where they make monks. They send him off there. And so he, he studies to become a monk, and he does okay. Then he comes to the day of being ordained as a full monk. And somehow, some way, he said, I got into a disagreement with another candidate. And on ordination day, the other candidate and myself, we got into a fight. So you got into a fight? So we got into a fight. We got into a fist fight. So these two monks are on the ground, just kind of just going at each other, and they get pulled apart by the senior monks, and they say, "Obviously, you're not eligible to be a monk. You don't understand the eightfold path, the fivefold way. So you leave. You cannot be a monk." I said, "Who gets kicked out of monk school?" He said, "I got kicked out of monk school." And then he said, "You know, my parents didn't want me. They gave me away. The monks don't want me." So I'm going to find someone who does want me. And he found a gang. Now, gangs in Thailand are the same as anywhere in the world. They're violent. They're crime, extortion, prostitution, drug trafficking. And he said, my life spiraled downward to the point that I became the hitman or the assassin for the gang. I said, so you, you, like, you were the guy who killed people? I said, yeah, I killed people. That's what I did. I said, like, how many people did you kill? He said, I don't know. I can't remember. There's so many. But he said, what I would do is when I carried out a hit, I'd go, and I'd, 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 I'd take the person out, and I'd have some buddies with me, and I'd bend over the person I just killed, and I'd make sure that they were dead. And when I knew that they were dead, I would turn back and give the thumbs up. He's dead. I got him. And he said, one day we're in a village in northeastern Thailand. 
you know, just hanging out, killing time. He said a group of Christians go by and they're singing as they walk down the street. It's like the old March for Jesus we used to have. And he said, I'd never had met a Christian. I'd heard about something about Christians, but I'd never met one. And I was intrigued. So I followed them. And they went into their house, which was a church. And I went to the door and I knocked on the door. And they opened the door and they saw me. They were all afraid. So I slammed the door in my face. So, so I knocked the door again and I said, I don't want to kill you. I'm not here to kill you. I just want to come and see what you guys do. And they slammed the door in his face again. And then he said, I knocked on the door the third time. And I said, listen, if you don't let me in this church, my friends and I are going to shoot off our guns and explode some grenades in your front yard until you do. They said, oh, all right, come on in. It's a very welcoming church. So, so he goes in and he is intrigued. He hears him sing, hears him pray, and he develops a relationship with one of the believers. He said two years pass and the police are cracking down on his gang. They've gotten too violent and they're chasing him and they want to throw him into prison. So he said, I, I don't want to go to prison. So I went into hiding to the only place I knew. And he said, I went into hiding in my friend's house. There's no TV. There's no radio, just some books. So I'm sitting one day looking through some books and there's this book with a black cover on it. He said, it's got some gold things on the edge of the page, all gold. I'd never seen one before. It was a Thai Bible. He said, never held one before, never seen one before. So he just started flipping through. And he said, and it just kind of fell open to one page. And my eyes fell on some words. And I read the words, the first verse in the first Bible he ever picked up. Just listen to what he, what he read. It's actually John eight forty four. You belong to the father, your devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. The first words in the first Bible he's ever seen in his entire life that he reads. And he said, when I read that, it was like a knife went into my heart and I knew I had to make my life right. And he said, I ran out of the house. I ran to my friend's parents' house. They're believers as well. He said, I knocked on the door. They opened the door. They saw it was me. They slammed the door. I said, I knocked the door again. I said, I'm not here to kill you. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be a believer. They let him in. They lead him to the Lord. He is forgiven. He is transformed. He's called into ministry. He goes to Bible school. He goes back to the northeast of Thailand. He plants a church. But that's not enough. He plants another church. That's not enough. He plants eight churches. But that's not enough. He goes to the local radio station. He says, can I broadcast Christian programming for an hour a week? And they say, okay. So he does that, but that's not enough. So he builds his own radio station at his church. We're actually in the studio in the picture with the eight cartons in the walls. And he broadcasts Christian programming all over northeast Thailand, southern Laos, and western Cambodia. And he said, what is happening is amazing. He said, I'll be at my office during the week sometime, and a person will walk in. They've been working in a rice paddy 20 kilometers away. They have a radio. They hear the broadcast. They're convicted by the Spirit. They walk to the church, and they give their lives to Jesus. And he said, on a Sunday morning, I'll give people opportunity to respond. If someone comes, they want to become a believer. He said, I'll lay my hands on them. I'll pray for them. And when I'm done praying, I'll turn back to my associates and I'll say, he's alive now. He's alive. He's alive. He is a transformer, changing his part of his nation for Christ. And our team is helping him. We're doing leadership seminars and pastoral coaching and mentoring. I want you to hear today that in Thailand, the forgiven are rising up. They've been transformed, 
and they're becoming transformers, changing their nation for Christ. Let's make one more stop. Let's keep going east. Let's go to, let's go to Vietnam. We all know Vietnam. We know it because of the Vietnam War. Perhaps you've heard of the Viet Cong or the Ho Chi Minh Trail. I know Vietnam as a land of the motorbike. There are millions and millions of motorbikes in Vietnam. I also know Vietnam as the land where dog meat is a delicacy. I have to tell you the story. So I'm sitting with a group of pastors. We're having supper together. They say, Pastor Peter, we just want to honor you today. We have a special Vietnamese delicacy they want to share with you. He said, oh, you are so kind. There's no need to do that. So, no, we want to share this with you. He said, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, what is this Vietnamese delicacy? Oh, it's, it's dog. Uh, did you say dog? It's this dog. And then Rover comes on a platter, and they lay him in front of me. And they say, enjoy. <laughs> and I'm looking at the dog. Now, what would you do? You would do the same thing I did. Pass the sauce. We're eating dog. And we dug in. It was a dark meat, a bit greasy, kind of sinewy, a bit tough. Not that tasty. Not too many side effects other than the odd time when I scratch my side, my leg will go involuntarily. <laughs> other than that, other than that, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yes. I also know Vietnam as a land experiencing revival. Let me tell you the story. In 1988, a group of pastors felt that they had hit the spiritual ceiling. No matter what they did, no matter what church growth strategies they tried to employ, no matter what things they tried to undertake, they felt as though they were hit every time they bumped their heads. They just, they just couldn't break through. They said, we, do, we don't know what to do. They said, now when you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is pray. Actually, you should do that first, but they did it at the end. They said, we're going to pray until something happens. And we're not going to stop praying until God gives us some kind of answer. So August 1988, they call a prayer meeting. About 30 pastors are together, and they pray. And it's the third day in. And while they're praying, and I know the guys that were there, they tell me in the morning, it was as if the heavens over their heads opened up, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, just like he did in Acts chapter 2. They said, we were all filled with the Spirit of God. We spoke in languages we had never learned, and God totally transformed our lives. And we were so excited because we knew that what God had done in our hearts, he wanted to do in our nation. So they went back to their fellowship, and they said, this is what God has done. We are so excited. Unfortunately, the fellowship wasn't as excited. They got kicked out. And so they formed house church movements. And they have experienced explosive growth, They've also experienced persecution. Let me tell you about Apollos. In Vietnam, when someone becomes a believer, they often will take a biblical name. So I have an appointment to meet Apollos. I've never met him before. And I'm in a restaurant in Ho Chi Minh City, formerly called Saigon. I'm the only white guy there, easy to spot. But I, I haven't met Apollos before, so I'm looking at the door. Every Vietnamese guy walks in, is that him? No. Is that him? No. Is that him? No. Maybe you had that experience before. And then this guy walks in. He has on a black baseball cap and in fluorescent pink embroidered letters across the face of the ball cap is the name Jesus. I'm thinking, that has got to be my man. And it was. So Paulus comes. He sits down. I said, Paulus, tell me what's happening in Vietnam. He said, oh, pastor, amazing things are happening. God is moving powerfully by his spirit, especially out in the 
province areas out in the rural part of the country. He said, miracles are happening. People are coming to Christ. He said, because it's subsistence farming, people have nothing. They have actually laid hands upon dead livestock and had that livestock come back to life. And I thought to myself, holy cow, it's amazing. <laughs> what, what else did you think? And I said, I'm sorry. That's a dad joke. Anyway. And I said, Apollos, have you ever been imprisoned for your faith? He said, yes, I have. Three times. He told me how long. I said, can you tell me what that was like? He said, I can tell you a bit. He told me about the isolation. He told me about the deprivation. He told me, told me about some of the physical tortures. He told me about the concern for his family and his church. And then like a good Canadian, I said to him, sitting at that restaurant, across the table, I looked him in the eye and I said, Apollos, that must have been horrible to be imprisoned for no other reason than that you love Jesus. That must have been horrible. And he looked at me like I was from a different planet, and he said, horrible? The last time I was in prison, I led 16 people to Jesus. How can that be horrible? And, and I thought to myself, I, I, am, I am sitting across from a man who knows something that I simply don't. We work with seven charismatic Pentecostal house church movements. They keep trying to push the envelope of the government. So Easter 2010, they called the government and said, we want to have a public Christian event at Easter. And the government said, we'll get back to you. So they rented a venue. They got the program together. They distributed tickets. They got everything in place. It was 4 o'clock on the Saturday afternoon of the event, which was to start at 7 p.m. One of them gets a phone call from the government. Okay, you can have your Christian, little Christian event. And so they throw open the doors. Ho Chi Minh City. 35,000 people come. 12,000 people become followers of Jesus. And you couldn't get in if you were a believer unless you brought someone who wasn't yet a believer with you. So all 12,000 people were already connected to a believer who was already connected to a house church movement. They are transformers. They are changing their nation for Christ. And so our team is helping them. We've provided them with 32,000 Bibles for new believers and 180,000 gospel tracts for evangelism. We've done leadership seminars and helped them to open a new Bible college in December 2012 to train new leaders. I want you to hear today that in Vietnam, the forgiven are rising up. They have been transformed and they're becoming transformers, changing their nation for Christ. And there are other great stories of transformation. I could tell you about children's homes in the Philippines, about church planting networks in Japan, about leadership training in Laos, about business as mission in Myanmar, about equipping believers to reach Muslims in Indonesia, about ministry to women in the sex industry in India, about evangelizing villagers in northern Sri Lanka. There are so many stories of our team, the forgiven, rising up and becoming transformers. But what about Canada? Are we rising up? Having been forgiven and having been transformed by the renewing of our minds by the Spirit of God, are we transformers? Are we transforming this nation and this city? Are we transforming our homes and our businesses and our schools? Are we transforming our world and the world in which we live? Well, when we're posed with those kind of questions, two thoughts usually start to race 
through our minds. The first is this. What difference can I make? Really? I mean, how many people live in Mississauga? 800,000? How many people live in Canada? 35 million? Maybe 4 million of those are followers of Jesus. So huge of a task. What difference can one person make? What difference can I make? There's a little boy. He was on holidays with his family in the tropics. About the third day in, he went down to the beach early in the morning. The tide was out, and the beach was littered with thousands and thousands of starfish. Now, he had been in the tropics long enough to know that the sun gets really hot. And if he didn't do something, there would be a starfish bank on the beach. So he picks up a starfish. He throws it in the ocean. Picks up another starfish. Throws it in the ocean. Picks up a starfish. Throws it in the ocean. A man comes walking along, and he watches the little boy for about five minutes. He says, son, what are you doing? The boy looks at him, throwing starfish in the ocean. It's pretty obvious. And they said, hold on. I said, son, didn't you look at the beach? There are thousands of starfish on the beach. What difference can you make? What difference can you make? The little boy picks up a starfish, looks at it, looks at the man, throws a starfish in the ocean. He says, I made a difference to that one. Hear what I'm saying? Friends, let's start picking up some more starfish. Let's start throwing them into the ocean. Let's serve in this church a little bit more. Let's pray a little bit more. Let's share Jesus a little bit more. Let's give a little bit more. Can you make a difference? Yes, you can make a difference. Because it'll make a difference to me if you do that. It'll make a difference to your unsaved friend. It'll make a difference to your pastor. It'll make a difference to some kid overseas, and it will certainly make a difference to the Lord. Can you make a difference? Yes, you can. The second thought is this. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have a degree. I can't sing. I can't play. I can't do it. I am not equipped. I simply can't do it. Well, let me tell you a secret, as long as you promise not to tell anybody else. The secret is this. I can't either. But we have this great promise from the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things through Christ. You can do it through Jesus. Through Christ, you can be a transformer. You can transform the world and your world right here at home. You can be a transformer as you give yourself to God and his will. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Bill Hybels made a statement a number of years ago that continues to challenge me every time I think about what he said. Just listen to what he, what he said. Give your life for this. Give all the money you can give. Give all the service you can give. Give whatever you have to give because for all eternity, you'll look back over your shoulder and be glad you did. Give whatever you have to give because for all eternity you'll look back over your shoulder and be glad 
you did. And someday, when you're in heaven, some little Asian is going to come up to you and tap you on the shoulder and say, thank you. You went to that church in Mississauga, the porticulture. She went there, yeah. And because you sent people, because you prayed, because you gave, because you came, I gave my life to Jesus. But not just me, my whole family, but not just my family, my whole village, because that's sometimes how it works. And in that moment, friends, you're going to look back over your shoulder and you're going to say, I am so glad I didn't get that iPhone 9. It is coming. It is. I promise. And instead of buying that new gadget or spending that money, you invested it in God's kingdom. You gave it to this church. You gave it to mission. You gave it to God's kingdom. And at that moment, you're going to say, I am so glad that is what I did. So will the forgiven rise up? I know you care. And I know you give and I appreciate it so much. I know that you're involved. But are you willing to sacrifice even more? Will the church of Canada, will the forgiven rise up and be transformed? And being transformed, will you then become transformers, changing this world for Christ? Well, you've heard some stories. And I hope that you've heard my heart. And today I want to lay a challenge before, before Portico. It's a challenge to the forgiven. It's a challenge to hear the voice of the Spirit. It's a challenge to hear the cry of the lost. People are lost and dying without hope, without peace, without Jesus. We need to hear their cry. So let the forgiven rise up. And let the forgiven be transformed. And let the transformed be transformers in this city, and in this nation, and in all the nations of the earth. Why? Why should we do that? So that souls will be saved. And so that Jesus' name will be glorified. So let the forgiven rise up. Friends, let's rise up. Let's be transformed. And let's be transformers. Let's pray together, shall we? And Lord, we do thank you for the amazing privilege we have of being in a place where with freedom, without oppression, we can sing your praises. We can hear your, your word. We can respond to your voice. And Lord, I thank you for this great church. Lord, I thank you for all the amazing things that they have done and are doing and will do. But God, I pray that each person, each individual follower of Jesus will sense the call of your spirit and will say, I, I am forgiven. I am being transformed, but I want to transform my world and the world in which I live. And God, I just pray that you would put a burden and a conviction upon our hearts to make even greater sacrifices for the kingdom of God. So Lord, by your spirit, even now, speak to every heart. Speak to every life. Challenge every one of us, oh God. Let us know that our transformation is for our purpose. That purpose is to see your kingdom come in power. So God, may your kingdom come in power to Mississauga. May it come in power to the GTA. May it come in power to Ontario. May it come in power to Canada. God, keep our land. And Lord, may it come in power to this entire planet. Jesus, people need to hear your name. Use your people to send your name forth with power. So God, I thank you for this church. I pray that you bless this church and our leadership. Thank you for the great things they do. May they walk in the anointing and blessing of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.